I guess I'm on. It's my uh, assigned week, so praise the Lord. Thankful for the privilege to share. Thankful for all of you. I'm thankful uh, we can have compassion on one another. I look around, I'm missing a few people. We need to be mindful when we miss each other and try to show our love how. I don't know where Hal Metz is, and we're missing the Simpsons, so our love wants to go out to him and others. Praise the Lord, but we're thankful. On September the 7th of this year, uh, my family's life changed. My mom fell and broke her hip. And um, she's still in the recovery process. That's been, what, two months now? Two months and a week since that happened. So um, this morning, if you would indulge me, uh, and, and I already pre-warned Pastor Nikki. I'm just going to give a little testimony, Wonderful. maybe a big testimony, I don't know. But we like testimonies. Amen. Pastor Nicky's taught us that when we engage with people and we talk to them and we tell them what God has done for us, there's not much argument. I mean, because if you say, God saved me and redeemed me and I'm no longer bound by such and such problem or such and such addiction. Well, and they see the evidence, there's not much you can say, is there? So I'm thankful that we can give a testimony. If you read the Psalms, it says, and the God delivered us from Egypt. We've been delivered and we need to talk about it. We need to tell. What God has done. So I, I just want to go back over the last couple months and give you um, some reflections on where my wife and I have been. On September the 8th, Debbie and I were boarding a plane to go to Israel. And we love to go to Israel. In fact, my mom and dad already set the standard for us. My mom and dad had been to Israel six times. So I was just getting to the threshold of the sixth time. <coughs> Debbie, you've been what, four? So you need to go some more. She wants to go some more. Praise the Lord. Wonderful. There was a little apprehension, obviously, you know, is my mother going to recover? Is she going to pass? You know, she's 92 years old. My dad's 91. I think I have made it clear to many of you that I come from godly parents. In fact, my mom wanted to go to Israel. In fact, you know, she has dementia, so she's in and out of reality at times. It's, it's a problem, you know. Some of us are aware of dementia and Alzheimer's, and it, she can be sharp at one moment. She knows Debbie and I. She can be very sharp, but then she's not. She says, I'm going to Israel with you. I've got the money, and I'm going. <laughs> she would have loved to have been there, let me tell you. So there was some apprehension on our part. I had godly parents. My brother, Terry, his two daughters, his son, Will, his mother-in-law, his wife, will take one week, my sister and her husband, David Young, 
will take one week, and Debbie and I'll take one week, and then we get respite care, and we've been able to take care of them in their home. Both of them need 24-hour-a-day care, period. And uh, so um, we've been alternating, going back and forth. I think most of you are aware of that. When we began that journey, you know, driving to West Virginia, obviously, you know, some of you have been through this. You know what I'm talking about. And some of you are going to have to go through it. But all these questions start bombarding you, you know. Uh, Why now, God? Why is this happening this way? How long will this go on? (laughs) You know, what are we trying to learn from it? You know, you have all these questions and you kind of feel guilty. My mom has to have care. It's just a fact. She has to have care. Somebody has to care for her. <laughs> and so Debbie and I have to drive down there and live there. And my sister does too. So driving seven hours one way and driving seven hours another way gives us a lot of time to reflect. So I looked at Debbie, not this last time we drove, but the second time we drove, and I said, Maybe we should try to see what we can learn from this. And so we tried to kind of review some things and begin to see if we could learn something from this experience. So number one, God has a plan. God has a plan. For all of us, all the time. You might as well come to the realization, unlike the world that just thinks everything's random, you can do whatever you want, God has a plan. And in that plan, things are good for us because he's a good God. And in that plan, (laughs) we will be tested. God's plans are to test us. Okay? I am currently reading, and I made this aware to you, I was reading Reverend Morgan's, Robert Morgan's book. And he says right in the book, you will be tested. <laughs> I'm reading a book by Charles Colson. Had a spectacular conversion experience out of the Watergate situation. One of the top men in our nation and was miraculously saved. And through his book, he says, you will be tested. Every great man of God is going to tell you, you will be tested. And it's God's plan. It's just God's plan. Okay, uh, Jeremiah 29, 11. It's a familiar verse, but it's in the Bible. You got it? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for peace and not evil to give you a future and a hope. God has a plan. God had a plan. We've talked about this. God had a plan for Jacob. 
Now, his name had already been changed to Israel, but there was still a little Jacob in him. He was in Canaan. He was supposed to be in Canaan. He was, God told Abraham and Isaac to stay in Canaan, but he told Jacob to go to Egypt. What? Yes. When he prayed, when he found out Joseph was down there and he prayed, God said, yes, you go down there and live. That was the plan. They went down there and they got the best of the land. They were in the richest country in the land. We're rich people. We're in a rich land. And then they got into bondage and they got tested. God had a plan. They got into bondage. They got tested. What's the plan? The plan is for us to be like God. The plan is for us to be with God, to commune with God. God wanted to make Israel the 12 brothers. He wanted to make Israel a holy nation as an example to the rest of the world. He wanted to make them holy. He gave them all the riches. That didn't make them holy. Gave us America, gave us good jobs, gave us good homes. Is it making us holy? <laughs> so, okay, I'll test you. Let's see if that'll wake you up a little bit. And the testing takes many forms. But I'm convinced, Jeremiah said this in chapter 29. We don't have it on the screen, but in Jeremiah 33, 8, he also says later on in prophecy about this nation. And in Jeremiah's day, they were in utter destruction. They were going into captivity, but that was God's plan. He says, and I will cleanse them from their iniquity, whereby they have sinned against me, and I will pardon all their iniquities, whereby they have sinned. And in verse 15 of Jeremiah 33, he says, And I will cause the branch of righteousness to grow up in David, and he shall execute judgment and righteousness in the land. He wants us to commune with him. He wants us to be holy. So um, when difficult situations come on you, trials, afflictions where we don't understand. <laughs> Thursday's night message was spectacular. Some of you were here Thursday night. Pastor Nikki preached Thursday night on the disciples after Jesus had fed, was it the 5,000 in that example? He told the disciples to get in the boat I'm going to dismiss the crowd. You get in the boat and you go to the other side. They were where God wanted them to be, right? Jesus told them, get in the boat, go to the other side. Everything's going to be all right. I'm going to stay here and pray a while. The crowd leaves, get in the boat. They're going across the Sea of Galilee. This was, I mean, it was marvelous. They get in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, four or five miles out. They cannot hardly see the shorts. dark. It's night in the middle of the night and the winds were contrary, <laughs> And the scripture says Jesus could see him. He said he was looking at him. <laughs> you ever feel like you're in a dark place? You don't know where. You cannot go forward. You cannot go back. The wind's blowing this way. You're supposed to go that way. 
in the midst of our struggles, our difficulties, and our trials, all of a sudden we begin to realize that God is the plan. The plan is God. The God, Jesus is the plan. He is the way. Oh, and you stole my verse, Hannah. Isaiah 55, 8 and through 9. Let's just see it on the screen. She already read it. We cannot sometimes comprehend that my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God has a way of working it all out for our good, right? So, number one, Debbie and I look at each other and we go, you think God's got a plan? Yes, he does have a plan. I'm tired. It's hard. Got to wake up two or three times in the middle of the night. God has a plan. He wants us to realize what a privilege it is to honor one another. It was an honor to have the parents I have. Like I said, my mom, most of the time, it's a disease. Her mind is not in my mom, okay? But my, my dad walks into that room sits down by that hospital bed every evening, begins to read the Bible, and gets out a hymn book and begins to sing to her, and she's as sharp as anything you want to know about. Every night, we're back in the back room, and my dad's in there trying to sing, reading scripture to my mom. What's that worth? We, uh, we're privileged to have uh, what's called respite care, which they actually pay for. And you actually take her to a, a room attached to the hospital. It's a hospice room. It's a little nicer than the hospital room because it looks like a normal room. And so it gives, so then you have someone who's there all during the night because people with dementia wake up in the middle of the night, don't know where they are. So it gives the caretakers a break. My dad wants to be there from 9 in the morning to 6, 7, 8 at night because having her, him there is a comfort to her. He wants to be there. 72 years of marriage. And he can barely walk. I mean, he, he can walk three steps and he's throw out a breath, he has to sit down, and he almost faints. And he wants to be there. And he needs taken care of. We still have to provide him the foods, get a I mean, get someone to drive him over. So the grandkids, the grandkids pick him up and bring him home and take him over. What a privilege to be in God's plans. Number two. 
Do you know that God can use the circumstances you are in to find out who you are? <laughs> to make us find out who we are. Do you know when the pressure's on? I mean, when the pressure's on. Uh, physically, I used to be able to, to drive 350 miles and it didn't mean anything to me. Be thankful for those days, young people. I drove 350 miles. I thought I hit a brick wall. I thought I could no longer even walk. But I walk in and my dad needs supper, my mom needs attention, and the pressure's on. You know? Bills need to be paid at home. You got to plan everything way out in advance because you're gone. You're somewhere else, you know. But when the pressure's on and the squeeze begins to happen, we see what comes out of us, don't we? And what comes out of us is what God's been trying to get in us for a long time. And we find out there's more needs to be taken out. Right? There's more needs to be taken out. There's too much impatience. There's too much analyzation. There's too much, well, why did this happen? Why, you know. And when the pressure's on, you know what else? When you see people under pressure, especially family members, my dad's under pressure, my mom's under pressure, and then my mom is not in her right mind, and then she reacts in a certain way, and you go, oh, my goodness. I'm looking in a mirror here. Because you see that thing is in you. It really is. And so in the testing times, in the pressure times, when the fire's on, I mean, how many times in the Bible does it talk about I'm going to put you through the fire because I've got to get all the impurities out. It's challenging and convicting when we're in the fire. And it's challenging and convicting when you see a close family member under that kind of... When my dad cannot... He wants to get up and help me with the dishes. And he tries to come in there. I said, he says, I'm going to help. No, Dad, you can't help. Just sit out. <laughs> you know, stay out of the way. But he's still a human. He still wants to be tender. In the testing times when we see other people in the weakness, in the frailty, you see them in their frailty, and you see they're trying to react properly, and you go, oh, help me. Number three. I'm just giving you some observations I've made over the last eight weeks spending, what we, we've driven to West Virginia, what, three, four times now? And we're leaving again tomorrow, by the way. It was just some things we said to each other. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. We've memorized this. (laughs) 
We read it. It's one of my favorite scriptures. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 18. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. We say it so easily. Living 1 Thessalonians is harder when you're out of your routine. When you're at home and you know I get up at a certain time, I go to work at a certain time, I do certain things, it's like we still have a lot of control, don't we? And you think, oh, I can manage praying without ceasing and rejoicing evermore. I know what I'm doing today. I got this, this, and this to do. Okay? Our assignment was get in the car, come down here and live for seven days. You have no control over your agenda. Zero control. You got to cook. You got to clean the floors. You got to clean the bathrooms. My wife is God's, she's phenomenal. Actually, I should have observed how good a saint my wife is when we go to West Virginia because God's been helping her. She's just a real help. And my brother said the same thing about his, his sons and daughters and his mother-in-law. He says, my mother-in-law, it's like she found a new life. She goes up there and takes care of mom and dad for just a few little bit of time, you know. But living First Thessalonians, when you're out of routine, when you have no control, that's why when we read that biography of Eric Little, it's a great biography that he wouldn't run on Sunday and stood on principle. But you know where Eric Little really shined? He was in prison in China. And when he was in prison in China, he arranged for services to be held. He was out of the routine. He was out of his element. And he shined. Or Richard Wormbrand, who was in solitary confinement for 13 years, had no absolute control over anything. Then you learn, then you learn that you need supernatural help to in everything give thanks and rejoice evermore. I'm not even trying to compare myself to those great saints, but... We were out of our routine. Number four, full-time servanthood takes our minds off our own problems. When you're in a situation, all you can do, all I was assigned to do for 24 hours a day, for five days, I had one assignment, was to take care of my mom and my dad. Feed them, make sure they're comfortable, take care of them. Why is it when you meet people, and Barbara's been a tremendous example of this, that are so consumed with volunteering and helping other people, you look at them and you go, how come those people don't have problems? Now, I know Barbara good enough to know that that's not true. But it seems that way. 
they just seem to be busy and rejoicing and I was reading this book by Chuck Colson, and he ran across something that to him was just phenomenal. He picked it up in a book called The Rise of Christianity. But he said he was amazed about how Christianity blossomed during the Roman period of time. During the Roman period of time, and he takes a couple of pages here to describe what was going on. The cities were smoke-filled. There was no, there was open sewage in the streets. Soap had not been invented for the most part. The fate of 30 to 40 percent of any of the city's inhabitants was, uh, they would die early of some type of plague. The wealthy escaped all that. But he said, what would happen during these plagues? And he gave a, a long, drawn-out example, of, a hypothetical example. But when, when the plague, like a smallpox or some plague, would break out, people would be dying. They would literally, literally, in the poor parts, most parts of the city, they would literally just leave the bodies on the streets. And he said what began to happen in the second and third century in Roman cities is the Christians would go out to the streets and pick up the bodies and take them to where they needed to be buried. The Christians would go out and begin to tend to people who had no hospital care. The care Christians showed often did result in their succumbing to the plague themselves. But paradoxically, the compassion did not deplete the Christian ranks in the long run, but quite the reverse. Tending to the sick increased the disease survival rate by as much as two-thirds. These caretakers would go into the streets where bodies were left. They would go into homes where no one was taking care of them because most people were poor. And literally, the survival rate of the caretakers was as much as 60% better than all the rest. And people begin to notice. It says, what is it? What, why are you living? Why is half of your family living and almost all of our family died? We believe in a God. Amen. And so people began to they, be converted. I was like, I was astonished. You're, wow. Isn't that interesting? When we get our focus off ourselves and begin to take care of others... Something happens to us, doesn't it? We focus on taking care of other people. That was number four. Number five. Our witness shines brighter in dark situations. Okay? Okay, every day 
hospice care will send in a caretaker, you know, to bathe my mom or a nurse to check on her. You know, they do provide some people to come into the home that we don't have financially. Well, got to say something to them, don't you? Yes, here's a 92-year-old lady who's been married for 72 years who prays every day. (laughs) I began to have a wonderful time with a a young lady that comes in to help bathe my mom. I mean, she was like, oh, man, it's it's like you're preaching. We're having Holy Ghost Fellowship. We were just, she was sharing. I was rejoicing with her. I have... I have a business where I work in the life insurance business, and I have a lot of clients, and they call in, ask questions. So I do try to field some of those calls. And so, you know, I haven't called for three or four days or a week. I would say to some people, I've been out of the office. You've got to be honest. I've been out of the office, out of state, taking care of my 92-year-old mom and dad, for a week, and what do you think the response is? Everybody that I say that to, I said it several times, they all think I'm the greatest noble creature on the face of the earth. They go, oh, that's just so wonderful. How could you do that? That's so, I was thinking, man, what an easy way to testify. (laughs) When you're in a dark situation and you start saying simply the facts, I'm just, I find it a privilege to take care of my mom who's been a godly woman. And people just, they're like, oh, I mean, you would not believe some of the compliments I got from clients. And that's all I had said. They thought I was some noble person. I'm going, no, no. I I was actually analyzing a little bit about this situation, you know. So my mindset has been shifted gears. I try to say people that ask me about my mom and dad. I said, my mom and dad were godly people, and I have the privilege to go be with them for a week this month and learn from them. So I've tried to turn it around to describe my uh, assignment. Do we really believe Romans 8, 28? And all things work together for the good of those who love God. Do we really believe it when we get an assignment we don't understand, we don't know how long it's going to take? I mean, isn't this one of the, the big questions we always ask? When we get in one of these dark situations, we always say, well, God, just tell me how long I have to be in this situation. Isn't that the one thing we, oh, how long is this going to go on? God doesn't say. <laughs> Till you learn your lesson, I guess. <laughs> I do want to read a scripture in reflection of all this to kind of sum up. Everybody always says, my wife says, well, what's your scripture today? I was reading this scripture, and uh, so turn your Bibles to 1 Peter. This is our scripture for today. 1 Peter, in reflection of this. 1 Peter chapter 1, 
1 through 4. Praise the Lord. Let's read this together. Get the mic to, to Lisa. Lisa, read the, the first two verses, and then I'll read the 3 and 4. We're in the King James. First Peter 1, 1 through 4. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Yeah, let's read it together, the next two verses. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Do we believe it? Yes. yes. We believe that God the Father, God the Spirit, and God the Lord Jesus Christ in unity have sanctified us, sprinkled us with blood, and have blessed us with abundant mercy. It's by the mercy of God that I'm here today. It's by the mercy of God that I know Jesus. And He's given us a lively hope. And I want to hold on to that. I want to say in any situation I'm in, I want to hold firm to these basic truths of the gospel that cannot be changed, will not be changed. There is a lively hope. God is alive. He's alive. He's resurrected from the dead. And you and I have an inheritance. That's, what he, that's the plan. To make us holy. To give us an inheritance. He's taken us through any and every situation that any of you will ever go through. And some of you are going through worse, much worse than I've ever described or will ever understand. But God knows and He has a plan because He has an inheritance for you reserved in heaven. Reserved in heaven. The message says it this way. I don't have it on the screen, but the message, I always get intrigued by the message. It says, I, Peter. Now, you remember, Peter's writing this in jail. They say that this was probably one of his last writings. He was in Rome. He was going to be martyred. Him and Paul both were there in Rome in prison about this time in the 60s, uh, 60 A.D. I, Peter, an apostle on assignment from Jesus, the Messiah, am writing to the exiles scattered to the four winds. We're some of the exiles, aren't we? We're some of the pilgrims that he wrote to. I mean... No one is missing. No one is forgotten. God the Father has His eye on each of you. <laughs> in fact, it said in the Scripture, Jesus had His eyes on them when He walked out on the water. 
No one's missing. God the Father has His eye on you and has determined by the work of the Spirit to keep you obedient through the sacrifice of Jesus. May everything good from God be yours. What a God we have. How fortunate we are to have Him. This Father of our Master Jesus. Because Jesus was raised from the dead... We've been given a brand new life and have everything to live for. We have everything to live for. Everything has purpose for us. I mean, we can look around. People don't have any purpose. But we have a purpose to live for. Everything is meaningful because it's refining us. We have everything to live for, including a future in heaven. And the future starts now. God is keeping careful watch over us and the future, and the day is coming when you'll have it all, life healed and whole. That's the message, 1 Peter 1 through 4. I want to believe this. I want to hold on to this every day, good or bad, rich or poor, and what are circumstances. I mean, wrapped up in four verses, it's almost the Apostles' Creed, the Trinity, the Godhead. God is and God has a plan. There's a heaven and there's a resurrection from the dead, and it's by the blood of the Lamb that we have life in all situations. So I'm thankful this morning that you allow me just to reflect on what we've been going through, and I need to learn my lesson. And so part of my lesson was, if I have to talk about it, <laughs> talking helps me learn my lessons. And I haven't been learning my lesson very well. And so I was trying to think about a sermon, and I couldn't get away from this lesson that I've been in. I thought, well, let's just talk about the lesson. Maybe it'll get a little better. So, so Peter says to us, an apostle of Jesus Christ in the English Standard Version, and according to God's foreknowledge and the sanctification of the Spirit, the obedience we all want to obey, and by the sprinkling of the blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy. It's mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. We have a hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and it's kept in heaven for you. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah.